0: From time to time during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. we missed that hey there well hello welcome back to the how did we miss that podcast i'm christine and i'm john how you doing i'm doing excellent excellent
1: yes i'm very excited about tonight
0: oh good well let's just jump right in then let's so do we it. Can get to your part i'm excited about your part too should
1: we switch it around I mean, if you want. No, we didn't talk about this. The Uh, the whole show would be ruined since we didn't discuss prior. So let's just do it the normal way.
0: Okay. Well, I've got a story for you. My sources for the story were just Murderpedia because I've just found these rabbit holes to fall into at this website and I love it. So I got most of my information from there. And my story kind of starts in a place called Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, which is situated along the scenic Susquehanna River. In Northeastern Pennsylvania. So, I don't know. I don't think we've ever been to that region of Pennsylvania. It's founded by settlers from Connecticut. I didn't know this. It sounds like a really cool place, right? It sounds like a little picturesque town and built in 1770-ish. By the turn of the century, Wilkes-Barre boasted a newspaper, post office, and courthouse. Cute little town. But it would come to be known for something much less appealing. Our story starts in early September of 1982. George Emil Banks is relieved of duty as Camp Hill State Prison Guard after a conflict with a supervisor and is evaluated at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, area hospital for mental health issues. But his mental decline had started a year earlier. A later evaluation in Lucerne County, where he lived, characterized Banks as filled with hate and anger at the world in general. So this guy seems like he's not in the best of spirits. At around 11.30 p.m. on September 24th, 1982. Banks went to bed at his home on Schoolhouse Lane in Wilkes Bar. Kind of sounds like a cute little street. I'm so sad. This place sounds so cute. I was reading about it and like sounds super quaint. But uh,
1: Yes, it does seem like a cute little town. Not quite um, like Amish country area where we've been. But that whole area up there by Old Forge and everything is pretty nice. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I know. It sounds like this... Sweet little place, all these, Schoolhouse Lane, all these cute little places, but uh, Mr. Banks.
1: The cute little places are always the most sinister, it turns out.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're finding out, aren't we? Yes. So again, like I said, uh, George went to bed after taking a mind-fogging mixture of prescription drugs and straight gin. So that's going to mess you up, I think. (laughs)
1: That sounds pretty awesome sometimes. I don't know. (laughs) That mind fog sleep is the best sleep, you know? Right.
0: (laughs) Well, he awoke the next morning and tried to focus his eyes and look around at his surroundings. Lying next to him was an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, which he had purchased the year before. His four-year-old son, Bowendi, was sleeping next to him, while his girlfriends, 29-year-old Regina Clemens, 23-year-old Susan Yuhas, and 29-year-old Dorothy Lyons, sat in chairs nearby. Susan was cradling the couple's one-year-old daughter, Maratanya in her arms. What are these strange names? Yuhas and Baratandi? Maratanya.
1: Maratanya. <laughs> what was the first one?
0: Uh, so Bowendi? Bowendi. Yes.
1: Are they of a different... Uh race well yes okay great into that later
0: (laughs) anyway yeah so susan she was holding the couple's child their one-year-old child and she kind of started to wake up as george was waking up and making noise so um, this is where i'm going to take a pause for a moment um this is a little bit of a gruesome story and it involves children so if you're not really into that you might want to skip ahead to the later conspiracy part at this point in time Yeah. But you don't get a choice. You have to listen to it. Sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you.
0: Okay. So he picked up the ar 15 semi-automatic rifle and loaded it with a 30 round clip. He raised the weapon and shot Regina Clemens. The bullet pierced her right cheek, sliced downward and traveled directly through her heart, killing her instantly. Her body pitched sideways in a lifeless sprawl. This began what would turn out to be a 13 person killing spree. The ages of his victims ranged from 20 months to 47 years old. Oh. Yeah.
1: I could have done without the first part there.
0: I know. The dead were seven children and six adults. His motive was the worry that people would be cruel to his children because they were mixed race. Mm. So that was a situation for him. And remember I told you they did his mental evaluation and he was like angry, like just hated the world. Yeah. So I think he didn't want that for his children is what I'm assuming here. Okay. Yeah,
1: I, I can understand that. Parenting ain't easy. You worry about those things, but there's no need to go uh, killing them. Right. You know, that's a bit extreme. Yes.
0: Next, he went for Susan and Dorothy, who were frozen with fear. He shot Susan five times in the chest at point blank range. A single bullet entered Maritania's left ear. Remember I told you she was holding her daughter? Yeah. And exited her right eye as her mother, Susan, had tried in vain to safeguard her from the hail of bullets.
1: He did all this with the AR-15? Mm-hmm.
0: Dorothy must have known that she was to be next because she shielded her face with her right arm as George fired two more rounds. The first bullet pierced her arm and chest. His four-year-old son, Boendy began to run away from his father when a single shot rang out. The bullet traveled through his left cheek and exited his right ear, virtually turning his face inside out. Ugh. Yeah, so it's awful. Quick
1: note on AR-15s because those are the ones that everyone likes to call assault rifles, and of course, they're not. the The round is actually a quite a small round, mm-hmm. but it's the velocity at which it travels, obviously being able to do that kind of damage.
0: What does the AR stand for?
1: Well, I had to consult Google for this. <laughs> I will be, you know, very forthright. Um, it stands for Armalite Rifle. Oh, okay. And I don't know what Armalite means. It does not stand for, contrary to popular belief by the people that don't know any better, assault rifle or automatic rifle.
0: Well, I am the people that don't know any better.
1: <laughs> hey, and you're you're right there with a lot of people. But, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't stand for anything that people think it stands for. Wow, that's crazy. But like I said, it, it sh- fires at a very high velocity. That's why it's a popular... Gun for home defense. It looks mean. It looks like an assault rifle. Yeah, they're crazy mean looking. But overall, the round is quite small.
0: Okay. Well, the AR-15 fell abruptly silent as George stood amidst the carnage he had inflicted upon his family, but he was still not finished. He made his way up the stairs towards his children's bedrooms. Six-year-old, this is another good one, Montanzima, I think is what it looks like. Montanzima. Montanzima. Montanzima is what it looks like it says. Hmm. Was sitting up on her bed. Awakened by the gunfire, she looked up at her father as he entered the room. George raised the weapon and shot the child point blank in the chest. As she fell over, he fired a second shot into her head. Moving down the hall, George stopped at 11-year-old Nancy Lyons' room. She was sitting up on her bed holding her half-brother, one-year-old... This is another one. F- I can't even say this. Ferrarund... I think it's Farrarund. I probably should have looked these up before so I did the story. I apologize. Can we jump
1: ahead to what race this is? Maybe I can I told help you that you. they're mixed. You mixed with what though? Like
0: African American and and white.
1: Oh, I didn't know yes. that. I thought because it, it, you can be mixed in. That's these, true, I know, guess. Yeah. Asian and white or whatever. Okay.
0: I'm sorry. You're right. I should have I prefaced to that. So it's I, th- hmm. I believe Ferron, Ferrarund is what it looks like. It's, it it says banks in her arms. The young girl attempted to shield her brother as George stood up on the bed and took aim. There were three shots fired in rap- rapid succession. Farrarund was shot in the back of the head, the bullet exiting his left eye. A bullet struck Nancy in the left forearm and one directly in the face that immediately shattered her skull. Both children lay dead as he walked out of the room. So this guy's like, Gone. I don't. Something's up with him. Yeah. I don't know how you could possibly, ugh, and it doesn't stop there. We've got more, more coming. Remember, I told you there's 13 that will be dead by the end of the story. Yeah. We've only gotten to what so far? Five?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like 13. But... I
0: think George made his way to his bedroom where he changed out of his blood spattered clothes and into military style fatigues and a t shirt that read, kill them all and let God sort them out. I- I'm sorry, where do they sell t shirts like this?
1: Yeah, I think there's an Etsy uh, shop, but
0: I mean, what the fuck? Where where would you find a T-shirt well, such I, as this?
1: I don't know. I'd have to is it Google military. That. Like, I, I don't. I, that's a good point. Maybe I mean, there's a Metallica album called Kill 'Em All, but I don't think the other part of that is not. Yeah. Ever has been I've seen been associated with that, so I I don't I don't know honestly. When I, I mean, read this,
0: I'm like I'm sorry, that's for sale, or did he maybe he made it? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe
0: he's got his own cricket. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Well, you know cricket when you're not heat press, when you're I, not obliterating family members, you cricket. That's what one does.
0: I mean, maybe he should have done a little bit more. Maybe yeah, he would have been a little more relaxed. Wow. Uh, yeah. Across the street from Banks's house, a 22 year old Jimmy Olson and 24 year old Ray Hall Jr heard the multiple gunshots, and decided to get out of the area. As they approached their car, George walked out of his house. Banks immediately ran up to them, telling them, you're never going to live to tell anyone about this, and emptied a fury of bullets at the two men. Hall and Olsen were both struck point blank in the chest and fell to the pavement. Banks stood over their bodies only momentarily before getting into his vehicle and driving off.
1: Okay, real quick. Okay. Can I insert here? Sure. Kill them all and let God sort them out is actually a famous quote. Hold on. In 1209, Pope Innocent III decided it was time to crack down on followers of a religious sect that had become popular in southern France. So it sounds like this is like an old-timey quote, maybe a religious-type quote.
0: It does not sound like... um However his name, his name seems ironic.
1: There is a Vietnam version of the saying on an unofficial American military patch. Mm, there we go. And I also found when I typed it into Google um, some song lyrics. Ah. Oh. So there's a plethora of possibilities Not Kurt where Cobain this being by any chance. No. No. <laughs> Not Darn. that I'm aware of anyway, but there is a, a lot of sources here where this could be coming from.
0: All right. So he hopped into his car. He drove approximately, approximately Wow. A pox upon your houses is yeah. what I was trying to say. <laughs> what I really meant was approximately four miles from the crime scene at Schoolhouse Lane to Heather Highland's Trailer Court in Plains Township. So we talked about this in one of our previous episodes. They like to call their little towns townships, yep. which is super cute. I totally love it. Hate that this is happening in a township, but still.
1: I like that the trailer park is called a Trailer Court.
0: A trailer court.
1: It makes it sound really fancy.
0: It does sound schmancy. Um, A former girlfriend, so he's got lots of girlfriends going on, Sharon Mazzillo, along with the couple's son, Kissamayu Banks, shared a mobile home there with Sharon's mother, Alice Mazzillo, her brothers, Keith and Angela Mazzillo, and visiting nephew, Scott Mazzillo. George went to the front door and 24-year-old Sharon greeted him at the door. When she saw the rifle in his hand, she tried to close the door, but George forced his way inside, firing a bullet that ripped through her chest and severed the main blood vessel to the heart. George stepped over her body and entered the house. He saw five-year-old Kisamayu sleeping on the couch with a blanket pulled over his head. George walked up to the child, placed the barrel of the gun just inches from the boy's forehead and fired a single shot. Sharon's mother, 47-year-old Alice, had heard the shots and was desperately trying to phone for help. Her two sons, 10-year-old Angelo and 13-year-old Keith, were looking for a place to hide. Angelo crawled under Alice's bed while Keith hid in the closet. George entered Alice's room, walked over to her, and strategically placed the barrel of the gun at an angle, aiming directly up her nasal passage. Oh. I know. (laughs) He fired one shot. The combination of the combustion from the discharge. Are you ready? This is bad. This is really bad.
1: Let me strap in here. Do I need a bucket?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And the exiting bullet caused Alice's head to explode. Oh, boy. Scattering brain matter about the room. Hmm. Yum. Yeah. Keith watched in horror through the partly open closet door as seven-year-old Scott Mazzillo ran into the room and screamed. When Scott saw the horrible scene in the bedroom, he ran down the hall. George grabbed him, kicked him to the ground, and punched him repeatedly in the back. When he stopped struggling, George pulled the sobbing boy up by the shoulder, placed the barrel just behind the left ear and fired. Satisfied that he had left no survivors, George stood up, walked out the front door and yelled, I killed them all before fleeing the scene.
1: And let God sort them out.
0: And I'm sure God will do so. Yeah. Sometime around 2.30 a.m., Jenkins Township Patrolman John Darsky and Detective Captain Ray McGarry while on routine patrol, received a call instructing them to investigate a possible shooting in Heather Highlands. As the two veteran officers turned into the park entrance, they had no way of knowing what they are about to walk into. They immediately noticed that a Caucasian female covered with blood was lying next to the steps of the home. She had no vital signs, and it was apparent that she had died as a result of at least one gunshot wound. Upon entering the home, the officers discovered Kisamayu on the couch, Scott face down in the hallway, and the decapitated body of Alice in the bedroom. Realizing they were no longer in danger, Keith and Angelo came out from hiding. Officers on the scene, while sick to their stomach from the bloody massacre, like, seriously, I'd probably be puking my guts out at this point in time, <laughs> Yeah, were relieved that at least two children had survived. Alice's sons, while in a state of shock were able to tell investigators that George Banks was the man who had committed the killings. The officers then put out an APB for Banks' arrest. So, I mean, I'm glad that they were able to get into that closet as fast as they did. Otherwise, I don't think we would uh, have any survivors of this tale. Yeah. At about the same time Jenkins Township police officers were arriving at Heather Highlands, Wilkes Bar Police Lieutenant John Lowe, en route to a similar call, discovered the bodies of two Caucasian males lying next to the street on Schoolhouse Lane. So these two calls are kind of going out simultaneously, but they're in different parts, like different areas, different jurisdictions. Um, so these law enforcement agencies are both responding kind of at the same time. Mm-hmm. Lowe immediately called for backup before exiting his vehicle to evaluate the situation. Uncertain as to whether the perpetrator was still in the general vicinity, Lowe walked up to a small white house across from the victim's bodies and cautiously stepped inside. Hoping to spot the gunman in the home, he shined his light around the interior. A nightmarish scene greeted Lowe. The smell of fresh gunpowder still saturated the air, and there were corpses scattered about the rooms. Paramedics dispatched to the scene, immediately treated James Olson and Raymond Hall. Both men had sustained serious injuries and were in critical condition upon their arrival at Wilkes Bar General Hospital. While the paramedics were treating the wounded, the local police department was just arriving at the scene. Wilkes Bar Detective Tino Andrioli was one of the first investigators to arrive at 28 Schoolhouse Lane. So if we ever go to these places, I would like to see this house. Detective Patrick Curley greeted him, telling him there were so many bodies, they lost count.
1: Yeah. I, I think it would be hard to determine, too, amongst just all the brain matter splatter.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, I don't name. think these were easy.
1: Yeah. To identify or even see who's who, that, it's easy to lose count.
0: Yeah. Police had cordoned off all routes out of the city and were desperately trying to find their murder suspect. George was well aware of the manhunt and decided to change vehicles to elude the police. After deserting his vehicle, he stopped a motorist near the Cabaret Lounge in Wilkes Bar. George put his gun to the man's head and forced him out of his vehicle. He drove the man's 72 Chevy to the east end section of the city and then abandoned it. Still feeling the effects of the alcohol and drugs that he had consumed the night before. Because, I mean, it's still pretty early in the morning. Yeah. And so he walked into a desolate area. He laid down on the grass and then he just passed out.
1: Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. Banks hard aw- day, hard day of killing. Right.
0: <laughs> Banks awoke and went to his mother's house, also in Wilkes Bar. His mother is quoted as saying he was crying and smelled like liquor. Banks told his mother that she needed to take him where he wanted to go, or there would be a shootout. Wow. Like again, or yeah. I'll still you <laughs> kind of already did there, kiddo. Yeah. When she asked what happened, he said, It's all over. I did it. I killed everyone. She asked who he killed. He replied, I killed them all, mom. I killed all the kids and girls, Regina, Sharon, them all. In a panic, Banks's mother decided to call his home, hoping that Banks was just drunk and rambling and that the story was not true. When the police answered the phone, Banks grabbed the phone and asked how the children were. Trying to keep him on the phone, the police told him that they were alive. Banks screamed that they were lying, shouting that he knew he killed them. He hung up the phone, placed three 30-round clips and numerous other rounds of ammunition into a bag, and decided to head to an abandoned rental home on Monroe Street. This is where a standoff between Banks and police began. So this is like, story is just action-packed here. Yeah. The police brought his mother and tried multiple tactics to get Banks to surrender, including having a false news report played over WILK radio that the children were alive and needed blood to survive.
1: Wow, you don't—that's going to great lengths there. You yeah. don't hear about that one every day. I know that—that that is a uh, extreme measure there.
0: Yeah, the police tried to use this to draw Banks out of the standoff. Finally, a former coworker, Robert Brunson, was able to talk him out. Like
1: what? <laughs> Way to go, Bob!
0: I just want to know what he possibly could have said that his mother didn't say. That like his children being in the hospital needing blood didn't do. Like a coworker. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend <laughs> to know the psychology of this, but I've had some pretty close relationships with a worker where I could see where maybe if they had. Yeah, but
0: I mean, would you listen to them over like me or I mean, maybe not your mom, but.
1: Uh, that's why I said I'm not going to pretend to, to yeah, know the state know. of this guy's right? mind, but there's okay. there's a special bond sometimes between friends that doesn't exist with others. Right. Where they just know the right thing to say or the right moment to trigger on or whatever. Right. I don't know. Well, I mean, I in a see second, I
0: have exactly what he said.
1: I can't wait. (laughs) I thought you
0: were (laughs) motioning for me to stop. No. (laughs) Robert Brunson, a resident of Wilkes Bar, friend and former co-worker of George Banks, heard reports in the news of the standoff on Monroe Street and felt compelled to help. The unemployed and divorced 36-year-old man quickly drove to the scene and asked the permission to talk with Banks. With few options left on the table, the the police (laughs) agreed. And Brunson was escorted to a point only a few yards from their home to have a conversation. And this is how it went. Brunson. George, can I talk to you before you die? If you came here to die, so be it. But let me talk to you before you do it. Banks, It's a good day to die. Brunson. No, there are people that care. I cared enough to come down here to talk to you. So maybe that was it. Knowing someone cares. I don't That's know. That's it? No, no, there's more. Oh, but I'm just saying maybe that's what did it.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So then Banks replies, no, man, they're using you. Brunson says, no, I want to be here. If you fire one shot, the police will shoot you just like you or I would do if we were in the prison tower. So remember, he used to be a prison guard. Take the first step, man. I'll be there to walk every step with you. Banks, I have problems I can't deal with. I want to be treated with dignity. Brunson, George, listen, man, everybody needs a crutch sometimes. I'll be yours. I'll put my body between you and these men with guns. But you have to trust the man. He means the police. So, I mean, I guess that was kind of a...
1: I know who the man is. Come on.
0: (laughs) I'm just trying to help. Following the conversation with Brunson, Banks remained silent, contemplating his situation. Finally, four hours after the standoff began at 1117 a.m., banks agreed to come out he smashed out a rear window in the house and asked that the officers on the scene hold their fire he was then instructed to hand his weapon to the patrolman and surrender himself out the front door of the home into the custody of police
1: so you see that's what i'm talking about i'm sure mom wasn't saying that he can read between the lines with mom he sounds like a smart guy so he's already a little suspicious so he probably was suspicious to the fake news report Okay, but this guy is talking to a man to man like, look, I'm going to do this, but you need to do this, like giving him some straight talk, you know?
0: Yeah. And I guess that's true. I mean, we heard how he killed each one of those kids. There's no way a kid's going to live through that. Right. So he knows they're dead.
1: You know that that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, so he finally complied to being taken into custody during an initial search of the home. Investigators discovered three 30 round clips and approximately 300 rounds of ammunition. Also noted was that Banks had barricaded all of the windows with furniture and large appliances and had a mirror set up in order to watch the front and rear doors from a second floor vantage point. This was a siege like no other in local history. The city of Wilkes Bar was left in a state of shock following the bloody massacre. Many residents could not understand why Banks, an outwardly stable man, decided to systematically kill 13 innocent human beings for no apparent reason. So again, the... Community doesn't understand what's going on, but later on we find out that he was afraid that they would be treated unkindly because mm-hmm. of their yeah. their mixed race. Banks stood accused of eight counts of murder, attempted murder, aggravated assault, recklessly endangering another person, stealing a car, robbery, and theft. On June sixth of nineteen eighty-three, the trial for Banks began at the Lucerne County Courthouse in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. Banks insisted on testifying, stating that he is not insane. The case consisted of multiple scene witnesses, Banks' family members, as well as Mr. Olson, identifying Banks as the person who shot him and left him for dead. The jury found Banks guilty of 12 counts of first-degree murder, one count of third-degree murder, attempted murder, aggravated assault, and one count each of robbery, theft, and endangering the life of another person. On June 22nd, 1983, Banks' 41st birthday, the jury recommended the death penalty for George Banks. From 1987 to 2000, Banks continued to appeal his case. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the argument regarding mental competency. They twice signed his death warrant. However, both times his execution was stayed. In 2001, 2006, and 2008, there were hearings about his, the psychological state of Banks questioning if he could be executed. So it's actually a thing if someone's just so far gone that, that the death penalty is kind of taken off the table. Since his conviction, Banks has tried to kill himself four times and has gone on hunger strikes that required him to be force fed. Which is weird to me. I feel like if you're on death row, <laughs> I mean, I guess there has, there's a process that has to be gone through. But it's like if he wants to kill himself and he's on death row
1: yeah well i I don't know what uh, it was like in 1983 but nowadays we're talking about a criminal justice system who is willing to give coronavirus vaccines to prisoners before the general public
0: yeah okay so
1: Mm -hmm. i think i'm not sure what's going on there but um yeah i'm really surprised i was gonna say if if i were this guy i would have rather been shot in the standoff and killed by the cops because if his story got out in general population in prison he's gonna get Right. effed up. I mean, killing an 11-month-old? Come on. Well,
0: I feel like he's probably not in gen pop if he's on death row. So.
1: Yeah, I get. Yeah, that's true. Okay.
0: Yeah. A psychiatric report filed in the case says Banks believes he is in a spiritual fight with an anarchist in New York, that Pennsylvania was controlled by the Islamic religion, and he was engaged in a private war with President Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Mm. Yeah. Okay. As of January 2019, he is still on death row in Pennsylvania, although I read in one of the articles that he was dying of cancer, but I didn't read that anywhere else. So I don't know if that's true or not mm, and I can't yeah. I, I looked in different places to see if I could get the confirmation on that, but I didn't. So that's my story, but before I end, um, since there was so many of them and they were all crazy, um, I'm just gonna read you the list of the victims again because there's so many of them. Yeah. Sharon Mazzillo, she was 24 years old and the former girlfriend of George Banks, who was engaged in a custody dispute over their son, Kisamayu. She was um, killed by a gunshot wound to the chest. Kisamayu Banks, who was five years old, he was the son of Sharon Mazzillo and George Banks, and he had a gunshot wound to the face. Scott Mazzillo was seven, nephew of Sharon, kicked, hit with a rifle butt, and killed with a gunshot wound to the face. Alice Mazzillo, 47, Sharon Mazzillo's mother, shot in the face while on the phone with the police. Regina Clemens was 29. She was the girlfriend of George Banks, and she had a gunshot wound to the face. Zima Banks, six years old, the daughter of Regina Clemens and George Banks, and she had a gunshot wound to the heart. Susan Yuhas, 23, girlfriend of George Banks, sister of Regina Clemens. That's an interesting story.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. It's a lot of weird going on here.
0: Yeah. And she had a gun sh- gunshot wound to the head. Then there was Boendi Banks. He was four years old, the son of Susan Uhaus and George Banks, and was also a gunshot wound to the face. Mara Tanya Banks, 20 months, daughter of Susan Uhaus and George Banks, gunshot wound to the face. Dorothy Lyons, 29, girlfriend of George Banks, gunshot wound to the neck. Nancy Lyons, 11 years old, daughter of Dorothy Lyons, gunshot wound to the head. For Forarund Banks. That's the nope. one I just can't do. Still got
1: it wrong. Third time's not Forrarund.
0: the charm. Forrarunda? I don't know. Let me see I can't. this. Hand yeah, you got to check this out.
1: <clears throat> Let me see what I can do here. Oh, yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> far
1: Far Forrarund? Forrarund? That's kind of what I think. Forrarude. I'm going to go with Fararoud or forrarude.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Uh, whatever. F. One. Banks. I feel terrible because this poor child I know. deserves yeah, he does respect, deserve. and I probably should learn that. And, and just so everyone
1: knows, we're not playing around here. We really can't say it. <laughs>
0: it's really difficult. Anyway, um, he was one years old. He was the son of Dorothy Lyons and George Banks, and there was a gunshot wound to the head. Raymond F. Hall Jr. was 24, a bystander who had been attending a party across the street. Gunshot wound to the liver and kidney. That must have been awful. Yeah. But we did have, happily, some survivors. And the survivors were Keith Mazzillo, 13. He hid in a closet while he watched his grandmother Alice die to a gunshot wound to the head. Angelo Mazzillo was 10 years old, hid under the bed where his grandmother Alice died. James Olson was 22, survived a gunshot wound to the chest. And then an unidentified man that Banks had carjacked at gunpoint.
1: So we're happy that these people survived, but what kind of life are they having now?
0: Oh, I can imagine. Well, what about the brother? Unbelievable. He lost his trauma? brother. Yeah. I mean, he survived, but the God, brother that's didn't. Crazy. That's crazy. just awful. So much nightmare. I wouldn't be able to sleep.
1: Yeah. There's got to be a lot of therapy going on there, I would yeah. hope.
0: So that is the uh, story of George Emile Banks, the family annihilator. <laughs> My story for next week, I actually came about this story on accident. Because I was, I'm trying to do different types of stories as much as I can each week. And I thought I haven't done a family annihilator yet. <laughs> yeah. And so I found one.
1: Is that a true crime term? Family, is, family, an- family okay.
0: annihilator. Someone who annihilates their entire family. I'm
1: over here yeah, laughing.
0: But... I know. Well, and there's, it, it, it's a whole, if you go do some research, there's like five different categories of them. It, it's crazy. So do you remember that um, Netflix the family next door that we watched. Yes. He's on the list as a family annihilator. Really? Yes. Because okay. he Killed his wife and his two daughters. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Yeah. He Sorry, destroyed the, yeah, he destroyed the
1: family. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. anyway,
0: um, I had a different story, but it ends up being, you know, the dates kind of match up with next week. So I think spoiler I have alert a- for next week, but, um, that's how I came up with this one. So we'll talk more about family annihilators later on next week. But
1: I think I have an ex sister-in-law that could be considered a family <laughs> annihilator.
0: She didn't kill anyone. She didn't, but she (laughs) kind of, you know... She did ruin some lives, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll say
1: that.
0: All right, your turn. I can't wait.
1: Okay. So the show's called How Do We Miss That, right? Yes. This fits the title and the theme 1,000% because 15-year-old John Joins, way back in 1994, big Nirvana fan, big music fan, was sad and knew that Kurt Cobain died right and i'm saying died three days ago i would have said completed suicide Mm -hmm. now i'm saying died because of what i'm going to talk about tonight but i had no idea from that point to now being 41 years old any of this story before our friend blogger internet influencer erica said you guys should do this erica so i had no idea about Any kind of conspiracy that maybe he was murdered through his wife, Courtney Love. I had no idea.
0: So 11-year-old Christine only knew that he died. Had no idea what happened, how it happened. So I am very interested to hear this part of the story. And we need to thank our friend Erica. Yes. Because she's fabulous.
1: Yeah. And I always like doing fan suggestions. I just hope I don't let her down because I believe she's read the book. There's two books out there, which I'll mention in a minute. There's multiple documentaries. None, none of them I have studied or seen or watched. So normally we kind of collect all kinds of facts and write out what we'd like to talk about tonight. I just want to have a conversation about some of the facts and get your thoughts on this. Were you a big Nirvana fan?
0: Well, I was 11. So, I mean, not really. um, At this point, I did enjoy some of the music, some of it i had heard before, um, but I didn't really know that much i am now
1: so you were probably later to the game like me in seventh grade which oh let me do the quick math here would have been i don't know 90 89 i don't know how how old are seventh graders um like 12 13
0: 13 ish yeah 12 and 13 yeah so
1: 1992 i mean nirvana's at the height of its powers right i had long hair just like kurt cobain shaved underneath just about to my chin blonde wore flannels all the time i mean this was my jam okay love nirvana still love them today liked them even more in high school when i was a little older and could understand the music a little differently so i'm a little mad at myself that i didn't know about this yeah i just kind of knew that courtney love was kind of a weird bitch i guess i'll just say (laughs) i mean she was sure her whole approach to the thing was kind of sad but also kind of bitchy about it okay i seem to remember And so after doing, you know, I'll just be very honest, minimal research on this because there's so much and there's really not a lot of rabbit holes to go down. There's pretty much two theories, right? There's the theory that he committed suicide via shotgun. That should be your first red flag. That is so hard to do.
0: Yeah, that doesn't. um, It's not a, a choice often.
1: So I'm the I'm the ballistics and gun expert on this show. There's multiple kinds of shotguns. There's your hunting shotgun that's very long. There's like a security police type shotgun that's a right. little shorter, and mm-hmm. then there's like a sawed-off pistol grip. They call it shotgun. That's actually quite short, and I guess you could technically kind of turn that on yourself. And oh, I'm you kind mean of, like
0: physically? Di- I thought you meant like mentally difficult to pull a trigger on yourself.
1: No, physically, it's oh. like impossible. To, <laughs> I'm sorry, it, it's it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to kill yourself. Via any kind of long gun. Right. Well, yeah. The the physics of your arms. Yeah. Yeah. And so he killed himself with a shotgun. Now there's all this history of suicide and depression and mental illness in his family. Right. And so knowing that everyone's saying like, well, if you wanted to kill yourself, first of all, there's a lot of ways. Right. But if you were set on doing it with a gun, why not just go buy a handgun? He bought this shotgun from a friend. And they're trying to paint the picture that he bought it specifically to use to commit suicide. Hmm. I I don't know. He's a smart guy that doesn't add up. Just buy a handgun, you know. Yeah. Because that's quick and easy. It's like I said, there's a lot of work that goes into trying to kill yourself with a shotgun. So anyway, just a little bit history. If nobody knows who Kurt Cobain is, if you don't, shame on you. My sources for this are our good friend Wikipedia. What would we do without Wikipedia? What would we do? Um, there's a podcast out there called Mile Higher. I'm assuming it has something to do with Denver or drugs or both. I don't know Okay. because it's the Mile High City, but it's actually a pretty good podcast that talks about murder and conspiracy theories. Hmm. Strange. Interesting.
0: <laughs> I wonder if they did the airport.
1: Uh, I don't know, but on <laughs> episode 70 titled Kurt Cobain murder conspiracy, um, they talked about this and kind of went over some of the theories I'm going to talk about today. That's another reason I wanted to just have a conversation format There's a lot of information out there on this, so I don't want to steal or borrow. I mean, if you somehow I missed this, so I'm hoping some of our listeners did as well and they get some value from this. Otherwise, they'll just get our commentary on it. But there's tons of other podcasts. If you do a quick Google search on this, there's a lot. There's also two books that were written by the same authors, Ian Halperin and Max Wallace. They wrote Who Killed Kurt Cobain? And their follow up to that is Love and Death: The Murder of Kurt Cobain, where they kind of get more into the conspiracy Got angle. It. So you can tell by the titles that they're they're in team he was murdered from the right. start, right? And then there's a couple documentaries that I'll just bring to note. There's a couple there's like I don't want, I want to say like four or five of them, but these are the two that really get into this conspiracy theory. One called Kurt and Courtney and the other one called Soaked in Bleach. They're both available on Amazon Prime. That one I tried to watch. I was going to watch and do my due diligence, but it's using actors. Oh. So that kind of blows a hole.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: In the conspiracy theory right away, there's so much footage out there. It's so easy to make a documentary by splicing together footage. But this is the one that's the most plausible case for murder because the guy who made it and the guy who talks throughout the movie mm-hmm. is a private investigator who was hired by Courtney Love to find Kurt Cobain when he died. What? Right. Confusing, right?
0: It's extremely confusing. (laughs) I, I, so I need to confess, like, I don't know like anything about this story. I just know he's dead. I don't know. Uh, I think, like I said, during this time period, I'm like between nine and 11 years old. Right. So if it was in the news, I'm sure my parents tried to shelter me from it, not wanting me to know that people kill themselves at this point. You know, and I'm, there's drugs involved and things like that. So I think I probably was very sheltered. Yeah, I would
1: say to an extent I was, too. I was just a little older and I was a big fan.
0: Right. So, I mean, I, so I know I will, nothing about this.
1: Admittedly, at 15 years old, I was kind of sad. I didn't cry or make a shrine or anything, but I was <laughs> I was sad. I mean, like that's sad. Yeah. He was like an icon. He was our I don't know, John Lennon, maybe, I guess. Maybe not to that stature, but his death was pretty shocking to a lot of people. Right. Um, and a lot of people were upset about it. So just more history on him. He was born in 1967. He died April 5th, 1994. He was hailed as the voice of a generation and in a whole musical movement, the grunge movement, right? which also spiraled into kind of some underground punk and other musical styles that are still heavily influenced by them today. So it sounds pretty good, right? You're a yeah. rock god. You're a, an American idol, worldwide idol, really. But he struggled with it. He was not happy about his fame. He thought his message and his just kind of overall style was misinterpreted. Okay. And he didn't, I like you said, you don't know much about him, but I knew back then and stuff I read through this. It's super eclectic, very artsy fartsy. He drew, right. yes, he had I like know. drawings and you could tell by his writing and the songs just far out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he was half baked all the time on drugs. <laughs> so that's helpful to that Persona as well. His parents divorced when he was nine and it had a dramatic effect on him. He felt ashamed of them, um, moved in with his father and just kind of downward spiral. Yeah. So that kind of overall gives you the picture of who he was. Okay. Grew up in Aberdeen, Washington, lower middle class at best. At the time of his death was worth something like four hundred million dollars.
0: Wow. Crazy. So
1: just tons of money that courtney love would ultimately inherit and his daughter um oh, that's
0: right i forgot they did have a daughter
1: yeah francis bean why would somebody do this to themselves right if they're
0: yeah well
1: viewed that way but inside quite he didn't. a
0: few people that have done this that were like why would you do that
1: right and inside he didn't quite feel that way so what what i guess the majority of the public didn't know then maybe doesn't know now is he wanted to divorce courtney um, they had kind of a wow. strained relationship.
0: I think that was pretty apparent, right? I mean, I, I, so, that's something I seem to remember knowing that they just were crazy.
1: Yeah. I don't know if it was strained, but all their public appearances were just completely bananas. Yeah. Like when they got married, one of the things I read was she wore like some almost see-through gown and he wore green pajamas <laughs> because he didn't feel like putting a tux on. And they got married in Waikiki at the, on the tail end of one of their... Pacific Rim Tours or something. Dave Grohl was there and only like eight other people. (laughs) It's so weird. weird. But if there was any photos of that, you'd see that scene and be like, what the fuck's going on here? These people are nuts. Yeah. And then all their other kind of media things were pretty crazy as well. There's some rare footage, a clip I'm going to play for you in a minute, of them on just this complete bender on heroin.
0: Yikes. Where
1: they're just baked out of their mind. Um, And the clip at the end is a pretty chilling about her pregnancy Mm -hmm. Um, so you'll hear that in a minute but there's lots of evidence that would point to her wanting to kill him. Is there
0: like a motive for that though? Just evidence or is there like a reason? Not
1: Nothing really I I mean just if you read the books and you watch the documentaries you read the history he wanted to leave her. Right. She wanted to kind of still pursue the music thing and he was not into it anymore. He wanted to leave Nirvana Nirvana was going to break up just they weren't they weren't clicking okay. anymore he wanted to get clean to be a better father for the daughter i don't know if she wanted to do the same there's just a lot going on there plus she she stood to make a shit ton of money i mean he oh, yeah. he eclipsed her fame by miles right 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 and so all those things just kind of point to your traditional story of why someone might kill their spouse or or anybody really i guess so another part of the story i had no idea about apparently he overdosed It wasn't heroin. It was another type of painkiller over the counter. I can't pronounce it. It starts with an R and she gave him Narcan the official term for it. And he went on and played a show just after ODing. Right. Wow. So not sure if he was trying to kill himself then. And then there's another story of him ODing in a hotel room and she reported it. And that's what led him to go to rehab. So he goes to rehab, checks himself into this after an intervention And he escapes from the place two days later after getting in there. This is all right before his death. Okay.
0: Okay. Like when you say right before is like weeks, months, days, days, Okay.
1: five days. Oh, wow. Okay. So after two days in the rehab, he escapes. He hops over a wall. He buys a plane ticket, flies back to Seattle and he's missing. That's where this private investigator by the name of Tom Grant comes into this whole story. Courtney Love hires him and says, hey, can you help find my husband? I don't know where he's at. Okay. This Tom Grant guy is a former LAPD detective. He's a private investigator that's done a lot of different kind of weird homicide cases or whatever. He's on record. He's very outspoken. He's got a website. He's got this documentary. He's basically leading the charge of this whole conspiracy theory that he was murdered, but he's doing it based on evidence and facts.
0: Okay, That's interesting.
1: Him and a couple of, family friends go to try to find Kurt Cobain when he's missing. They go to the house in Seattle. They don't find him. They don't see him. Now, one of the strange things about that is that he was found in a room that's called a greenhouse. They're calling it a greenhouse. That's above the garage. Now, of course his house is this huge compound, big, big property, but he's found in this room, his body, you know, his head blown to smithereens because he used a shotgun apparently. And he's not found for days, a couple days. Right, hmm. the friends couldn't find them. But the weird part that stuck out to me in my research was that the friends would have been there. They knew this house existed. They knew this room existed. Yeah, they were. They had been in this room. They didn't think to look there. They didn't even go there to. Yeah,
0: look. Yeah, like you, if you're looking for somebody in a house, you look every single room in the house. Right.
1: even closets. Didn't even look in
0: bathrooms. That one. Like, so they just skipped that one like nope, altogether.
1: Nobody looked there. Not even Courtney Nobody. That's crazy. He was found by a, a contractor who came over to install some lighting for a security system. Who was up on a ladder and saw the body through a window. Wow. So police get on scene and they determine right away that the method is suicide because there's a note. Pretty obvious, right?
0: I guess. So wait a second. The, the PI, he didn't know about the room or he didn't go there to look? It was just the friends? Or? Yeah, I think
1: the friends just went there okay. while he was sorting out some other things. He was dealing with... Courtney, who was still in Los Angeles. Got it. Okay. So nobody, nobody found him. The, the contractor found him. Police are called. Obviously they find the body. It's a couple days old. He died on April 5th. Like I said, they've, I, I can't remember when they found, I think they found him April 8th. So three days. Okay. And like I said, there's a note there. The note, there's a lot of copies on it online. There's typed out copies cause it's very hard to read, but it's just a bunch of gibberish, right? A bunch of weird stuff written. Typical of a suicide note, especially someone who's on drugs, which I'll talk about in one second. Okay. It's important to the story. Very important. But just this long, weird note, like the the printing's going kind of sideways, and then it changes at the end, and the printing looks completely different. Mm. And it talks about Courtney, and it talks about the daughter, and it ends with, I love you, I love you. Where things get a little fishy is one of Courtney's bags was found to have what basically looked like a handwriting Mm -hmm. sample in it. With a bunch of different letters that looked very similar to the note, hmm. were just weird letters written, like almost like she was trying to master the art of disguising her handwriting to maybe write this note, or at least doctor the note or do hmm. something strange. She claims it was for something else, of course.
0: Well, yeah. So there's really, that I was one practicing handwriting, right?
1: There's who does that, right? Right. So there's that one weird piece of evidence. I mentioned the drugs. Yes. Heavy into heroin, both of them addicted to heroin at this point. When he was found, the toxicology report from the autopsy, three times the amount, the lethal amount of heroin was found in his blood. So that should have killed him. That would have killed him. Right. The PI and everyone who's investigated this on the conspiracy side has said it is physically absolutely 1000% impossible with that much heroin in your system to then grab a shotgun, yeah, right. turn it around note. and have the wherewithal to, well, I think the note was pre-written if he wrote it, but to then turn around, turn this huge gun around, right? Mm-hmm. And have the wherewithal to grip it a certain way and shoot yourself. If you took that much heroin, your like heart and everything would stop and explode. You'd be unconscious. It's right. impossible to do that.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: That's pretty much the story of them. of of his his death slash murder like i said there's a lot of reasons but the part that stands out to me and everything i know about guns and heroin i sound like a real winner over here (laughs) it's pretty much impossible to kill yourself there's no way he could have done that the way he did and then the piece i learned about the note that just kind of solidifies it for me
0: yeah that's really i mean if nothing else it puts huge suspicion on it Like almost as if it were in a court of law, it would absolutely be reasonable doubt for sure.
1: Yeah. And so that's what people have been asking for is just to reclassify the cause of death so it can be investigated further. Mm -hmm. Because once police calls it suicide, it's kind of done. It's a closed case. It's a closed case. So that's what the PI and other people who have looked into this after the fact have said, can we just change it so it can be investigated officially, not just by this PI. Right. You know him as a PI he's going to take the job he's going to take the money from a rock star basically I don't know how much she paid him Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was a handsome sum but as he started doing it he started seeing all these discrepancies that didn't add up to the story she was telling him and so he went rogue and did this documentary and he he believes that she killed him not physically killed him but was involved in some kind of plot to kill him so do you want to hear the tape?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: So this is them in 1992, early 1992, before the daughter was born. 91, 92. Just like I said, completely baked out of their mind. And the reason I'm playing this is to sh- just to show you kind of the dynamics of their relationship and mm-hmm. just how messed up on drugs they were. And like I said, if he wanted to kill himself, he would have done it this way. All you had to do was OD. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, why? And
0: not you just kind of like slip into a sleep from what I can hear.
1: And that's a very... um I guess his type of rock star way to go, especially mm-hmm. if you're a heroin addict. So listen to this clip. I encourage you and everyone to watch the video. Cause that makes it even worse. The state that they're in is they're just a mess, mm-hmm. a complete mess. So yeah, check it out. Why don't, why don't you interview us? Kurt and Courtney. Sassy too. How does it feel to be fast? Like in the fast lane.
0: At the height of their drug abuse. (laughs) Damn, if I wasn't so needle sick, I'd be on tour with Guns N' Roses right now. (laughs) 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 Me and Axel would be whooping it up, snake dancing across the stage, dancing across the stage together, singing Nazareth songs. But I'm too goddamn needle sick, man. Are you fucked up, baby? I did do heroin when I was pregnant and then I stopped and I knew she would be fine Come
1: on. so that footage was from a separate documentary that was being made about them and I don't know that it, if it got released but the audio doesn't do it justice like I said just to set the scene for you they're kind of I don't know if they're in their house or what but they're in a room with hardwood floors it's just kind of a mess there's a guitar on the floor she's wearing like a baby doll kind of negligee nothing on top as far as bra wise and just like panties underneath. He's shirtless. He's all scrawny. Everybody knows what Kurt Cobain looks like with like some shorts on. And if you've ever seen like an episode of breaking bad, when what's his name was high out of his mind or any kind of movie where that's portrayed, this is it in real life. They are just completely baked out of their mind. They don't know what they're doing. They're smoking cigarettes. And then, the kind of noise and commotion you hear is he starts strumming on a guitar on the ground and then right. starts beating it on the ground. She's just like moaning and twitching and I'm, they're just completely fucked up. I don't know how Jeez. they survived that. Yeah. So at the end you hear her say that she took heroin cause she didn't know she was pregnant while she was pregnant, but she knew the baby would be fine. I don't have any idea how Francis Bean is again. When I was a kid, I didn't even know they really had a kid. So this, this kid's what now? twenty. I have no seven born in ninety four. So or ninety two. I'm sorry. Born in ninety two. So how old would you be? Twenty twenty eight.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm assuming she's fine. But
0: I mean, I'm sure she's not fine. But Well, (laughs) maybe from the drugs, she's fine.
1: (laughs) So, I mean, what's really sad to me is. Kurt Cobain's an amazing talent. I mean, the music's a little raw and rough around the edges, but there's some incredible lyrics there. Great musical mind, very artistic. And then obviously you hear in that clip, at least I think so, Courtney Love's not a bad singer.
0: No, I was actually like, that could be a good song if you didn't totally yeah. screw it up with Weird and her
1: And her voice is all right, but they just, these two completely kind of just destroyed their life. And it's funny because they fell in love primarily around drugs and music. That's what attracted them to each other. Yeah and there's a lot of weird questions about Kurt Cobain's sexuality that I didn't really get into, or he made public comments saying that he would, if he didn't have Courtney, he'd probably be bisexual and hmm. just very strange, eclectic, weird situation that I don't know. Something right. just doesn't add up to me. And I'm th- what this has done for me is I'm going to do more research. I want to read the books. I want to watch the movies yeah, for sure. Um, because as much as I hate, watching someone throw their life away. I mean, like I said, you got to watch the video. If you search YouTube for Kurt and Courtney rare footage, Mm -hmm. it'll come up. I encourage you to watch it because it it really puts some context to what you just heard. Right. So what do you think? I mean, you're, you're new to this story since you were a young buck.
0: I don't know. I feel like, um, just the few little tiny pieces of evidence you presented definitely Deserve another look. Like, if I were a detective or if I were in a court of law, for example, I would definitely say this completely adds doubt to the story. So I'm not sure why they're like refusing to investigate. But yeah, it's, I don't know if it's that she wanted to kill him or what, but it definitely doesn't sound like he killed himself.
1: Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, or if
0: he did, it wasn't on. I mean, wasn't with a shotgun, and it wasn't on purpose. So
1: exactly, and I just think that if he, for all the reasons I stated, if he wanted to die because he's tired of the fame and fortune and whatever, he could have just put th- three times the amount of heroin into his body and just die. He would have died. Right. So if that toxicology report's true, that this is all fake. It's got to be. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe there was no foul play. Maybe he's alive on an island with Tupac and Elvis and everybody else <laughs> that they said is not alive and they're making great records. Who knows? Hey, I don't who know. Knows? That's what I'd like to believe. So that's my story.
0: Very good. Well, if you want any more information or pictures on any of these cases, please visit us on social media at how did we miss that? We need to give a big thank you for our theme music to Audio Anywhere Productions. You can find them at audioanywhereproductions.com. And until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other.